OCD or obsessive compulsive disorder is a pretty common disorder which so many of us can experience in both minor and more extreme ways. It's an anxiety disorder which can cause unwanted, uncontrollable thoughts, doubts and behaviours. Now, for some of us, OCD is nothing more than maybe having to perfectly align all of our books on the shelf because we can't handle even one being out of place by a few centimetres. But for others, it's a much deeper struggle, which carries over into their daily worship as well and makes practicing this beautiful religion of Islam much harder than it should be. It can cause someone to feel trapped as if there's no way out and unfortunately in some cases, feel like there's no one to help them. Today, we're discussing spiritual OCD, why it happens, and some ways in which we can overcome it. That's coming up. You're listening to the Deanspiration Podcast. You're on the go source of spiritual pick-me-ups, inspirational reminders, and more. Featuring special guests from around the world. Don't forget to visit deanspiration.com where you'll find lots of high value, easy to implement tips, tricks and tools for your Dean with free downloads, video content, blogs and more. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome everyone to episode 29 of the Deanspiration podcast show. Now, if it's your first time here and you're thinking... What is this show? Who is this random guy with this weird sounding accent? Um, what is going on? Then let me introduce myself. My name is Osman and I'm the presenter here on the podcast show. Deanspiration is essentially a platform which features this podcast show, uh, a YouTube chat show and also a blog. And our main focus is to provide Muslims like yourself with really practical worship tips, uplifting reminders, life hacks, free tools and resources and more to help them become closer to Allah and also develop into better versions of themselves. We're almost 30 episodes in now alhamdulillah and I'm super glad that you're here today because today as I said before we're discussing a very important topic which of course is OCD but also this topic falls under um, a larger umbrella topic or theme, um, which is mental health. Now, mental health is something we've discussed here before on the show in depth, both from an Islamic and scientific perspective. And more importantly, we've busted some common misconceptions that having a mental health issue or struggle is somehow related to having a lack of faith, which just simply isn't true. It goes way deeper than that. If you want to go and check out those episodes afterwards, head on over to deanspiration.com forward slash mental health and you'll find those episodes on that page inshallah. Or if you're already subscribed to us on the podcast show, just go ahead and scroll through to episode 17 and 18. Now when it comes to OCD, we are tackling this issue at a slightly different angle. As mentioned before, it's not just simply, you know, um, being really obsessively tidy or... Um, having all of your pencils perfectly aligned on the table. Um, OCD can take someone to a point of complete obsession, extreme doubts with regards to their daily activities um, and even their worship. And today we are going to be talking about OCD specifically in the context of worship and how it affects the way that we practice our beautiful religion. 
In today's episode, we're also going to be giving you a lot of real life examples, which I'm sure a lot of us can relate to. So make sure that you do stay tuned. And also discussing whether or not these are simply whisperings of shaitan, or is there something much deeper to play here, something going on in our heads when we have this really deep struggle which affects us every single day. And so joining me today to discuss this is Sister Minha from a wonderful mental health charity called Inspirited Minds. We're going to dive deeper into what the charity does and cover this OCD theme. But first, of course, as always, we're going to go into our Ayah of the Day segment and also very briefly speak to our sponsors for this episode who are Fosis. Let's get straight into it, inshallah. Here's today Ayah of the Day. Bismillah. So that was today's ayah of the day, a very short one today, which was from Surah Al-Duha, chapter 93 in the Quran. And we just recited verse number three, which translates to say, Your Lord has neither forsaken you, nor has he become displeased. Now it's worth noting that this surah as a whole is a really good one to read whenever you're feeling down or sad and look into the commentary or the tafsir of this surah because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala really comforts his prophet in the surah and gives him assurance that he's not in this by himself, this mission that he was given by Allah. At the time of its revelation, the prophet hadn't actually received revelation for many, many days and naturally felt alone, worried, and felt like maybe he was being abandoned by Allah. And the reason that we chose this verse for today's ayah of the day is because as you'll learn later on in a few moments that going through struggles like this or with mental health can sometimes lead us to feel this way as well. Alone, isolated, or like no one understands us. And inshallah today we hope to provide you with some help, understanding, and some practical solutions to help you overcome this issue of religious OCD. Alright guys, so before we get into today's show, of course we have to kickstart things off with today's sponsor. And today's sponsor is FOSIS, which is the Federation of Student Islamic Societies, a wonderful organisation here um, in the UK and, and across some parts of Ireland as well. The reason that they are sponsoring today's show is because, mashallah, FOSIS actually are running... Um, almost a year-long mental health awareness campaign and they are running a number of events and activities throughout its different regions to basically make um, especially young Muslims aware of the topic of mental health and of course as today's episode is based on a category of this theme I wanted to bring on one of the team members at FOSIS to explain a bit more about this and how you can get involved and find out more about it, inshallah. So without further ado, I want to bring on Sister Isma, who is actually the head of this year's mental health campaign at FOSIS. Isma, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. It's good to have you on the show. Thank you for being here. Very quickly, first of all, can you just tell everyone um, a little bit about FOSIS? and what it is and also what your role is this year. Um, so first is we're an organisation who are there to kind of serve and represent Muslim students across the UK, um, both throughout college and university. So we've been around for over 50 years now, alhamdulillah. 
Um, so we kind of want to provide um, training support to um, students and my role this year is more involved in our campaigns team so um, just taking head of the mental health campaign. Brilliant and for those who haven't heard about FOSIS um, I want to kind of break it down for them so in America we call them MSAs and here we call them an ISOC which is basically a student society um, that can form once you're in college or uni um, and FOSIS so I guess is kind of the overarching kind of umbrella organization right yeah pretty much pretty much okay awesome um and for those listening you know i do have a uh, contact with forces i was part of my university society as well and i can definitely vouch for the work that forces do mashallah it's wonderful um so isma before i let you go quickly explain to everyone um why you guys chose to do a mental health campaign throughout the year um, a little bit about, you know, um, what's involved. And also, if any of our listeners want to be able to find out more or get involved themselves, how can they go ahead and do that, inshallah? Okay, so uh, with mental health, I think it's something that just generally, um, with a lot of people, it's held quite closely to them, um, either through a personal experience or someone probably close close to them. Um, I'm not sure if you know, I think one in four people do suffer from a mental health illness. Mm-hmm. So there is that um there is that relevance there especially among students where you are under a huge amount of stress so what we kind of wanted to do was to create some sort of um conversation uh, making it easier to have that conversation to break the stigma at the same time but not only to just talk but to actually take some action too so we'll be providing resources to ISOCs across throughout the year so that will be things like um, actually being aware of what services are available on campus. And we'll be setting up webinars that are more proactive and beneficial rather than just educational. Um, so that students can actually take something away um, to help themselves and to help others around them too. Mm-hmm. In terms of how to get involved, so we'll be advertising those on our Facebook, which is Versus um, Mind Over Chatter. And we hold um, interactive sessions on our Instagram too every other Wednesday. So there we kind of um, have a different theme for each session. So just last week we were talking about friendship and um, its relation to mental health. So there's that way people can get involved through to pop through polls and questions. Um, But just generally there's a lot to uh, look out for. Um, I know Scotland, they'll be having a conference um, which will have obviously a lot of interactive workshops and talks too. Sounds amazing, mashallah. And one more time, that hashtag that you mentioned was Mind Over Chatter, is that correct? Yes, that, that's it. Mind Over Chatter. So guys, make sure that you look out for that um, on social media, on Instagram and Facebook, etc. Now to find all of the social media links for both FOSIS and Inspirited Minds, who are our guests for today, um, you can visit today's episode's show notes on our website which is at deanspiration.com forward slash episode 29 and you'll find everything there. Isma thank you so much for coming on inshallah good luck with the campaign and I look forward to seeing the content that comes out this year. Yeah thank you so much for having us and for giving us this uh, platform to spread our campaign. No problem whatsoever and I'm sure that those who follow us on social media as well will see us um, hopefully resharing some of that content too. Until then salamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. I'm so
Okay guys, so without any further ado, it's time to bring on our sister Munha from Inspirited Minds. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Jazakallah khair for having me. It's our absolute pleasure um, and Jazakallah khair for coming on to the show. Um, I'm actually really glad that we finally got to be on this podcast together. Um, a few episodes ago, for those who listen to our show, will know that we did cover a couple of topics um, or a couple of episodes worth of uh, mental health. And one of them was actually sponsored by Inspirited Mind. So for those uh, Minha who don't know about this uh, wonderful charity that you're involved in, let us know a bit more about um, Inspirited Minds and the work that they do and also your role there as well, inshallah. Okay, um, so Inspiration Minds was uh, found in 2014 and it came about due to some research that our co-founders um, conducted and the research that they did sort of suggested that Muslims, um, particularly Muslims, don't seek out help um, when they experience mental health problems for a number of reasons but the most common reason was because they felt that they would not be um, understood by non-Muslim practitioners or <laughs> they feel that their uh, faith would not be taken into account in a medical sort of setting. Um, there's also lots of stigma and misconceptions around mental health, which is very much still like a taboo today. Um, and what Inspirited Minds does is it tries to tackle these issues in various different ways. So, for example, um, we have uh, Muslim support workers and Muslim counsellors on board that are sort of fully trained um, in more quote-unquote secular methods as well as having that Islamic background. So a lot of our counsellors also provide Islamic counselling alongside sort of trauma therapy, uh, CBT, um, and they um, can kind of counsel like a wide range of mental health issues, mashallah. And all our support workers are fully trained and often come from a psychology background as well um so it's, it's just really holistic basically um and we sort of try to um tap into different ways um of reaching out to people and of uh people of sort of different demographics so for example we have our weekly articles that get sent straight to people's um emails um we obviously have podcasts as well uh we have events and workshops up and down the country we work a lot alongside isocs um, and student unions um, we have a really active social media um so we we just try to sort of reach out to as many people as we possibly can really um, and my role at Inspiration Minds is I'm the communications manager so I sort of um, I have a lovely team mashallah um, of writers that basically smash the blog um, I have uh, a marketing team as well that do the graphics the social media um, things like that and we sort of um, we're just sort of like the online of IM basically. Mashallah, thank you for breaking it down for us. Honestly, um, I have to say that I'm super impressed with the work that you guys are doing. Um, firstly, you know, I'm subscribed to the newsletter as well. And whenever a new one comes through, it's honestly one of those ones where um, it's the most intriguing, the most eye-opening of the various newsletters that I get. And it's almost like there's not a single email that I that I get that I don't learn from. Mashallah, you guys are, you know, from someone coming from someone who personally um doesn't associate themselves with having really dealt with uh any severe or even I suppose 
mid-level, if that's even uh, a way to measure, course of mental health issues. Um, it's hard for me to often relate to those who, who have, but um, having, you know, done a couple of episodes before, um, it's really, really opened my eyes to this entire world. Um, having received multiple emails from uh, Muslims from around the world and to our Deinspiration inbox and just speaking generally with more people and observing the fact that everyone does go through something and when we mix in the topic of Islam and worship and spirituality, for many it can be quite confusing to find that balance and to understand how both can connect. Some people might even, as we covered in the previous episodes, think that, you know, having an issue with mental with your mental health means that you're not a good Muslim, which of course we uh, smashed that myth before. And so I'm so glad that you guys are doing this work because it's so needed and especially the fact that you um, specialize, not exclusively, but specialize in helping Muslims and you have, mashallah, Muslims there who are experienced. I'm so, so glad that this is being done and I hope that, inshallah, those who listen today will get a small flavor of what you guys do and will reach out if they have anything that they need help with. Inshallah. No problem at all. So today we are talking about a topic. Um, now, for those listening, before we did uh, this episode, Minha and I wanted to, we actually discussed on the um, the theme and what to call it, whether we should call it, you know, religious OCD or something else, but we felt that this might be the best because the thing is, a lot of us go through many stages of our deen, um, one of those being linked specifically to our practice of worship, ibadah, and even that in itself has various stages. We have the learning stage, we have the implementing stage, we have the practicing and perfecting of that, whether it's our salah, whether it's our fasting. Uh, and then this kind of concept of OCD is something which a lot of us might not even connect with religiosity in worship. Um, it might just mean for some people, you know, being super clean all the time or um, being obsessed with you know, making sure that everything matches together and nothing is out of line. But Minha, I want you to break it down for our audience listening. What OCD is on the wider kind of grand scheme of things? Um, if you could explain the kind of definition and then inshallah afterwards we'll kind of uh, slowly uh, relate it back towards Islam and worship as well. Um, so I'm really glad you brought up the example that you brought up actually because I mean as someone who works in mental health and as someone who is constantly trying to sort of destigmatize mental health issues um, it, it's really quite frustrating when someone simply likes to have their room really clean and organized and it's just like oh you know it's just an OCD of mine and actually that's it's not an actual condition per se um, and then for someone who actually has OCD for them to hear that um, it can actually be quite patronizing and really trivializing and it kind of like waters down the extent of what OCD can actually mean um, so I'm really glad you brought up those examples actually and you know it's examples like that that we have to um, highlight um, and say you know that isn't actually the bigger picture here um OCD stands for obsessive compulsive disorder, which I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with. And 
it is exactly what it sort of says on the tin. So it, it's made up of obsessions and then compulsions and it's a disorder. So it's it's a mental health disorder that can affect people of all ages um, and different walks of life. Now, for a lot of sort of uh, Muslims, um, especially from, for example, personally in my culture, so my parents are Bangladeshi, but I was born and brought up in this country, um, they often say that w- when you're a teenager, that's when, and you know, scientifically, I guess they have some basis, validity. Um, when you're a teenager, this is when you're experienced sort of all the turmoil in your life, and this is when you're tested the most in XYZ. And then once you get to your sort of mid 20s, that you should really be calming down and what they think is just bad behavior which actually is a mental health problem Mm. when that carries on into your late 20s it's a bit like you need to grow up and actually they could potentially have a mental health problem and it wasn't just something that they brought on um uh, it's not something that it's just age-related so I just felt that was really important uh, to mention um and, and it can affect everyone from different walks of life um so there aren't any particular sort of specific risk factors to um, OCD. Um, a majority of the risk factors are pretty similar to other mental health problems, such as uh, running in the family, personality traits, um, and having other mental health problems. And so there isn't any concrete evidence to suggest that all of these are causes or consequences as well. Um, so OCD consists of obsessions that are unwanted um uh consist of super intrusive thoughts or images that can be really distressing for the individual and it's classed as an anxiety disorders um and the compulsion side of it is when an individual carries out their thoughts into sort of physical behaviors or actions that they feel compelled to do so it's almost like they don't have any control over it um and these actions and these behaviors can often become very ritualized um and it's often a nasty cycle as you know the behavior that they do can reduce the anxiety that they're feeling but also the behavior that they're doing can also fuel the anxiety so it could be that if I close the door this many times then I'll stop thinking this but then it will turn into I didn't do it enough times I didn't do it hard enough I didn't close it perfectly I need to close it again if that makes sense Mm -hmm. so yeah that that's the sort of definition of it of it, I guess and it, but it's, it's really 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 varied like um OCD has so many subtypes as well um so so to only say that it's just like the like it's just super clean and super deep but you know there's so many different types of OCD and it can really present uh differently and it can exhibit different symptoms and and different people so you know it's not always about cleaning or being tidy sometimes it can be uh constant fear of contamination or constant fear of poisoning someone or you know so many different examples which i'm sure we'll go into later anyway Mm-mm. now the fact that you said that it comes in many different forms is quite interesting because i wanted to kind of follow up with this now you, you already gave some examples just there but if somebody is wondering whether or not that behavior they have and that they do every day be it on purpose or not or be it innocent or be it something which really affects them is there something which you know is it like a, an obvious telltale sign that they might suffer from OCD or they have to maybe uh, seek some help or is it one of those things where it's so so difficult for someone themselves to really you know observe 
whereas somebody else maybe who's watching them every day, a friend or family member might actually see it as something which is just really annoying, just a personality trait, for example? Yeah, um, well, it's really, I guess it's really difficult because uh, as anyone who's experienced a mental health problem, a lot, you know, a lot of people will say that it's an invisible illness, so no one really knows what it actually looks like. But I I guess um, with OCD, it's unfortunate, but I guess you can't really, like an external person couldn't really tell the signs until it gets to like a very worst stage where it's just so obvious that person can't hide it Mm. or even the person themselves who's experiencing the OCD like it can it can gradually get worse where they don't even notice the subtle changes so I guess I mean the telltale signs for example firstly it's important to make a distinction between having OCD which is a psychological problem and having an obsessive like trait like an obsessive personality trait like you just said um so for example OCD behavior is time consuming it can get in the way of a lot of daily activities you know it can actually impair the quality of life someone has and it can be really debilitating Mm. um and it it can almost paralyze people like mentally speaking um so for example that would be someone like you said who literally won't leave the house until like you know you mentioned the example of the door they haven't closed it enough times or they haven't maybe washed their hands enough times because they keep thinking it's dirty so they'll be there for maybe 5 10 15 minutes washing over and over again using more soap and then um you know i remember actually watching a program about this once years and years ago where a lady um would obsessively wash her hands mm-hmm. and even if a dust speck or even if she thought a single dust speck from anywhere touched her she would have to wash again Um, and this could be just from even touching her own child or from you know opening the door with the handle and you know putting something in the trash is for her is like the worst nightmare (laughs) so would that be something like that I guess so yeah I mean when it actually impairs your your quality of life and it gets in the way of like quite simple things so Mm. let's use the example that you're saying for that for this particular woman that was quite life impairing it you know it's time consuming the way of a lot of things whereas someone who has obsessive personality trait they may wash their hands a few times just to get out of their system but i guess it wouldn't come with the irrational fear and the intrusive thoughts to the extent of someone who has quite severe ocd but i mean there isn't really any obvious signs that spring to mind apart from Someone with OCD would usually show and express, um, you know, intense fear of things. So intense fear of contamination. You know, you know, you double double checking things is quite normal. But this person may mm. like quadruple, you know, twenty times check something over and over. You know, fear of making others sick, um, and also quite a common one, which a lot of people don't usually see as OCD is unnecessarily checking in with loved ones to see if they're safe so a couple of phone calls to make sure someone got home is okay but then to make sure that they got through the door to make sure that they've double locked the door to make sure that they're in bed to make sure that they've locked all the windows you know it's it's excessive do you see what I mean Mm. and you know it's having quite irrational solutions to quite simple problems and I feel that's probably the biggest indicator so let's go back to the example that you were using so it's quite a simple problem. Like if her hands are dirty, she should just wash them. Whereas the irrational solution for her was that she should wash it excessively. And 
quite a simple problem with her hands being dirty you know she could just wipe them but for the problem to be from a, a dust like a speck of dust like it's very excessive it's very irrational so I feel like that's probably like biggest indicator between having OCD and having like an obsessive trait mm, okay so that makes a lot of sense so now um inshallah what I want to do is bring this straight into the conversation of worship um something which a Muslim might uh face based on the examples you gave both the irrational kind of uh, issues versus obsessive issues. I want to share some examples of behavior which we might um, see in our daily worship, which um, relates to exactly what you just said. So in the beginning, I talked about prayer. um, And let's say, for example, you know, someone might start the prayer and they might have an obsession with repeating actions in the prayer over and over and over because for some reason they are convinced that they haven't completed them properly. Um, This often happens maybe with those who believe that their Quran isn't correct and they believe that unless they, you know, recite perfectly that their Salah is not going to be accepted. Likewise, I think a very common example um, is with wudu or just cleanliness and purity in general, right? So those that do wudu, there's those that can perform wudu once and then that's it they leave but those who um you know i've heard examples of those who will almost miss the time for prayer they will repeat wudu so often to the point where they just genuinely believe that every time they do wudu either they've done it incorrectly or they convince themselves that their wudu is broken um some of them will even actually end up just jumping in the shower because they otherwise they can't convince themselves that they have sufficiently you know washed every limb are there any other examples you can think of along these lines that people that you've noticed that muslims in general um might suffer from every day so you've actually mentioned two out of the three main sort of categories that specifically sort of affect people um when they're experiencing religious ocd so the first one which you mentioned was ibadah the second one was um tahara so cleanliness and purity and the third one is aqidah now the third one i'll go into after i explain the four, the first two because that was a bit controversial um so for example like ibadah what you said um uh, salah and the constant doubting which raqa you're on um but also important sort of um part of salah is obviously kushul and as muslims we are constantly trying to find that level of kushul and you know even like the average sort of person who doesn't necessarily suffer from religious ocd or ocd in general like their kushul isn't always in the right place anyway or like you know they're able to concentrate for a certain amount of time and then the the mind wanders and you know this is all expected and natural of uh, Mm. you know a believer um but for someone who's got really OCD like Prashul can become really sort of um like a terrifying concept because it's almost like my salah will never be accepted because I'm always concentrating on what my head is saying or I'm always concentrating on something else and Mm crucial to them almost ends up being so like um, like so absorbed with are they really having like are they really concentrating in the salah so whilst they're praying they're also thinking like am i concentrating properly you know is this going to be accepted that kind of thing whereas for us for you and i maybe when we're in salah like 
yeah, our, our mind wanders, but we're able to bring it back and, you know, we'll be able to get off our prayer mat and be content that we've done our salah and that's it. Whereas for someone who's got religious OCD or suffers from a lot of doubt and a lot of guilt, they might go back to actually redo their whole salah several times, not just the acts, not just the specific raka. They might redo it so many, so many times. Or some people might say that, oh, I forgot to say bismillah, so it doesn't count. Or, you know, I've, I forgot to do a sajda, so they'll do it more and more. Um, wudu, like you said. Um, also, one that affects specifically women, I guess, is... Um, where you should do the ghusl after you've come off your, after you finished your menses. So this is something that I personally struggled with because it's such a difficult sort of, um, it's, it's quite difficult to figure out when it's, uh, when your menses has finished and that time of, okay, is this, is this pure sort of discharge? Is it not? Mm. And, you know, you do ghusl once and then you find out that, okay, hang on, I'm still on. So, and then you've already prayed in that time, and it's a bit like, okay, well, what should I do? Should I just do wudu? And because there's quite a lot of opinions out there as well, and rulings, which can sometimes make it a bit more confusing, which I'll also go into a bit later. Um, so that that's uh, quite a difficult one that I, I think, especially a lot of young girls um, really struggle with, especially young girls that have just started their um, periods and especially have just started practicing their deeds. So it's a really confusing time. Um, also, um, a lot of people who are often non-Arabic speakers can get quite obsessed with pronouncing Allah and Allah's names right so they're constantly thinking like okay um, I said Allah's name wrong so does that mean I I attributed him to something else mm. does it going to get punished because I've just committed shirk and stuff like that and also you mentioned Tajweed so um, y- you know even, even though a lot of the people that I've spoken to that have struggled with this particular issue and they say like, you know, I know that I'm rewarded for every um, letter that I say and that I struggle with in the Quran, but there's something inside me that constantly wants to do better. And, you know, that's a good trait to have as a believer. Of course, we should always strive to be better, but that doesn't go hand in hand with making ourselves ill. So Tajweed is also um, something that a lot of people might struggle with, um, especially if they don't speak Arabic because they're worried about saying things wrong and it meaning the wrong thing. Because obviously, like, it's quite easy to do that in Arabic. You know? So yes. some words are spelled or sound the same way, but if it's said, like, the wrong way or um, not said in a specific way, it can mean something else. So the classic example is Qalb and Qalb. So one yeah. means and the other means dog so if you put that in a, a sentence it's a bit like oh no what did I just say um so yeah and Akida, like I was saying earlier that's such a massive one that a lot of Muslims really struggle with so you know as as humans and especially growing up in the west we've always grown up with depicted images of a god so we we have depicted images of Isa alayhi salam and you know of Maryam and you know things like that so naturally if we've grown up in an environment where we have depicted images of um these uh heavenly let's say um people automatically um will also want to depict or imagine what allah looks like um and obviously as we know from like quran and sunnah and stuff we just have to at the moment he's just light to us we don't know what he looks like we just know that allah is allah so a lot of people will often say like from what I've experienced as well and from what people have told me like they often imagine Allah to be a certain way and then they really beat themselves up and they think that they've just committed shirk and obviously like that's such a huge sin but Mm. 
it's also uncontrollable but then it goes around and around in that cycle and they imagine Allah to be you know to to be speaking to them and they try to and you know sometimes our imaginations can get carried away so I'll give you one specific example um I spoke to um, a sister once and, you know, mashallah, when she was reading Quran and she came over like the parts where um, Musa alayhi salam spoke to Allah and stuff, like she imagined herself to be Musa alayhi salam's place and Allah was speaking to her directly and, you know, and it just got really messy for her. What started out as quite a simple form of ibadah turned into something so distressing for her because she thought that she just committed shirk and that's it Allah will never forgive her and Mm. it all just got really messy another example is that um, I've also worked with another young girl um, who had been through a lot of childhood sort of abuse and trauma um, sexually and physically um, and whenever when she got uh, when she got married and she started having marital relations with her husband she um, quite distressingly quite often had a thought that she was having marital relations um with Allah subhanallah so okay that really really distressed her and that made her sort of go into like this such a dark place mm. she thought that she had committed such a big sin and you know she would repent for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and become really sort of obsessive about her um about about her tawbah and she just thought Allah would never forgive her and she thought that this had come from herself and that um and, and the difficult thing is is it then turns into the the whole like um did Allah want me to think that way um you know why why would and we start to question like his color as well and people can often um feel quite responsible and quite accountable for saying like oh did Allah want me to think that did um you know why isn't Allah stopping me from thinking this that kind of thing Mm. obviously in itself is another distressing thought because then they're like I'm questioning Allah's decree does that take me out of the fold of Islam and things like that so it, it can get very very chaotic very confusing very distressing subhanallah a lot of the things and the examples you mentioned are Maybe for the average listener right now, very distressing to hear. But um, of course, yourself and your team and others can vouch for the fact that these are very real issues. And I think you and I as well, I mean, to an extent, we've experienced some of these, maybe in a more, uh, maybe a more minor level or maybe more major. But we all have our battles inside, right? And so I want to, I want to really talk more deeply about the fact that you mentioned something really important earlier, which was that the fact that people actually have these thoughts and the, pa- the fact that people are so concerned in itself is a sign of their iman, yeah? Uh, now, we're not going to really uh, relate that to how obsessive it might get at the moment, but the fact that people do care does show that. Um, however, I think, and we'll talk more about this later, I think what we have to do, inshallah, is really differentiate between maybe a lack of uh, confidence in oneself, um, a lack of an ability to really accept that what we've done is um, is done and it can be accepted by Allah, even though it's not perfect, um, Allah will still accept it from me. And a lot of this, I think, which we'll discuss is down to not really knowing enough or a lack of knowledge. Um, 
and of course in our tradition learning about Islam learning the intricate details is is so so important for many of these reasons and from my own experience um having gone through some issues where I would maybe obsessively repeat wudu or I would doubt my state of purity upon learning about these things and upon discussing them with a teacher or someone I can relate to someone who can show empathy towards my situation I realized that afterwards okay you know what the next time it happens I now know that maybe I will still take a bit of time to uh, get back to a level where I'm not being obsessive anymore I'm able to accept that one wudu is done one prayer is done etc and just generally I mean an example from the seerah itself I'm going to paraphrase this but the sahaba at one time themselves the greatest people to walk the earth after the prophet they came to the prophet and they actually said to him and they complained to him that we have really bad thoughts in our head about Allah and we really don't want to think about them and I believe the example they gave in this particular narration was that they would rather have like you know something penetrate their head and they would rather suffer that pain than to think about that thing ever again because they were so distressed over this thought right and the Prophet turned to them and he said to them that look the fact that you're thinking about that is a sign of iman and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself does not actually hold us to account for that which we think but rather that which we act upon right and now here is where I want to ask you a, a very important question because of course in Islam we have this concept of whisperings from shaitan right we have waswasa and it's a very real phenomenon we know that it happens it's a fact and we are taught in Islam various methods of, you know, helping this. Um, for example, reciting "A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitanir Rajeem" um, and other forms of adhkar and even certain surahs in the Quran. So I want to ask you, as a Muslim who may be listening right now, how do we differentiate between something which could potentially be a whispering from Shaitan, who's putting that doubt in our head versus something which can be considered as being just you know genuine OCD behavior which someone is suffering from and isn't quite related to the fact that they're you know quote-unquote not a good Muslim okay so um I'm really glad that you mentioned that that first hadith actually it's one of my favorite hadith I'm sure that it provides like um myself a lot of comfort as well so I hope inshallah that a lot of the listeners um, will be able to take comfort in that hadith um, so you mentioned um, waswasa which we know is um, from Satan but we also have a concept called um, waswasa al-qahri which is translated into many things such as overwhelming whispers compulsive whispers um you know i'm not a, a professional or a, a proper speaker of arabic um but there are loads and loads of translation of what that could possibly mean um and this is the type of waswasa um i like say that with quotes so this is the type of waswasa that the scholars have suggested as sickness um so that okay. this kind of uh waswasa which is sort of from which is internal is what is the disorder or this is what the closest thing that arabic the arabic language has uh, a sort of suggested basically um 
And lots of sort of uh, contemporary Muslim clinicians um, and researchers will say that this is what religious OCD is for Muslims, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But we have, you know, major giants in sort of psychiatric history, such as Abu Zaid al-Balkhi, who suggested in his book, Sustenance of the Soul, that OCD um, was actually uh, due to physical imbalances. So it was an imbal- imbalance of the four bios in your body. But he also acknowledged so I wanted to talk about like the the sort of roots I guess um, mm. of um, OCD and how like the roots in, in itself like this there's so many different factors um, and it's important that we mention all of them so we don't say um, that oh this is just a spiritual issue and oh this is just a physical issue or this is just due to brain chemicals and stuff it's important to see the whole picture um and sometimes i feel that in muslim mental health especially like it's either this is just a spiritual issue or we we try so hard to say that no it's got nothing to do with spirituality it is a physical problem so i always try to take the middle route and say actually people before us have said that it's a bit of everything okay Mm. so i guess the ways we could differentiate is knowing that everyone so every average person will have intrusive thoughts from time to time and this can be due to stress this can be due to um you know not revising enough for exams for example um it could be because you've had a recent trauma or something like that like it can be a life change or a trigger of some sort right exactly so everyone has these intrusive thoughts from time to time and for some people it can be worse than others but it becomes an issue when it becomes constant that's the key thing here so when it becomes constant and when you're not able to dispel them so for example like you said like waswasa we can get rid of or we can attempt to get rid of by you know saying we can do like the three calls we can do our azkar and things like that and generally we should find contentment in that but if we're not able to dispel them what would you say to that person do you see what i mean you wouldn't mm. just you need to pray more, you know, you need to say Bismillah more, you need to learn Asma al-Husna. Do you know what I mean? Like, we can't say that. So it's when it becomes uncontrollable. And like the examples that I gave earlier, it really does paralyze you. And that's the difference. Waswasa wouldn't paralyze you. It wouldn't, you know, it, it doesn't impact your life like having an actual psychological condition would. Mm, very interesting, subhanAllah. And I'm I'm very glad that you mentioned that because... This is what we tried to really make apparent last time when we discussed uh, mental health with um, with Sheikh Abdul Hamid and Sister Hafsa in our previous episodes that, you know, striking that balance between recognizing that, yes, it could be waswasa, but also something more deeper internally and then deciding, OK, how do we now go ahead and try to tackle this um, properly and with a balanced approach from both angles, right? Now, speaking of this, um, this brings me on to my next question. Um, We will be, inshallah, shortly talking about, you know, practical ways that we can help this, but just generally, right, as a follow-up, our teachers, so for example, you know, when it comes to waswasa or when it comes to that which is, or doubts which are linked directly to worship, um, in our tradition, Islamically, you know, we are taught various methods um, and techniques which have been passed down for generations, which also, in fact, can be part of the sunnah itself, which help us to deal with these things, right? Um, 
Some of these are internal solutions. Some of them are are practical external solutions. So, um, let's say one for the wudu issue would be to have someone there to watch you as you perform wudu, um, and therefore they will be able to confirm that you have in fact actually you know washed that part of your body and they will then in a way uh, sort of force you to continue Um, and because they are there you do not have to rely on your own doubts and your own thoughts but they are there to help you right that's kind of example of an external solution Um, I suppose a second example would be um, you know some of the teachers for example you mentioned earlier an issue which sisters might face which is related to menses um one in particular which uh, brothers might actually experience as well is related to purity tahara so for example after visiting the bathroom um brothers might actually afterwards experience um they might feel that something additional has exited and they feel like because of that they are impure now their garment is impure or their wudu has broken this is actually a very common thing for brothers to experience right so what scholars might do is they might give practical ways for them to help um, that not happen for example maybe spending a couple of extra minutes uh cleaning or some of them might say uh, if you constantly think that you know your undergarment has become spoiled because you think that something has come through um, and you might go there and check over and over again you might be forced to break your prayer and go and check um, and sometimes more often than not the, the person might go and check and nothing is there even though they were convinced that something happened, the the teachers or ulama might say, okay, what to do there is take some water, uh, sprinkle that water on your undergarment, and then the next time you have that feeling in your mind, you have to convince yourself that it's just the water and nothing else, right? And they say that anything beyond that, you should ignore, because anything beyond that is a doubt from shaitan um, and one of his favorite ways to distract us from the prayer is is through these doubts right so these are various um, external solutions now we want to find that balance between these external solutions but also learning how to really change our states within and so i wanted to ask you how do we approach this strategy of you know in the context of ocd and worship um, by changing ourselves within as well and taking both of these into consideration. Are there, for example, anything maybe even from the Quran or, or the Sirah which you can use or as an example for us? Yeah, so my uh, favorite hadith, uh, one of my favorite hadiths is um, deliberation is from Allah and hastiness is um, from shaitan. This is integrity. And the whole hadith, it, it sort of reminds you to not act quickly on thoughts, um, generally speaking, but it also specifically helped me personally with a lot of my religious OCD, is when I instantly had, had a thought in my head, you know, it reminds you to take your time to actually think it through, reflect on it, rationalize it, as well as going for the easy route for of any sort of thing you're experiencing. So when you forget what number raqa you on, um, for example, you go by the least number of raqa you think you have done as well mm. as dryly on the left. So, and, you know, there's so much um, wisdom in Adin, mashallah. So, you know, if you go by the least number of raqa you've done, you've definitely covered your back. So there's no 
fear of missing anything. Do you see what I mean? That's sort mm. of the thing behind behind that um, reminder. But sorry, behind that ruling. So in in relation to general waswasas, um, the s- scholars um, say to turn to Allah first. So sincere dua is a good remedy and. I guess just being completely honest in your adiyat and speaking to Allah about your doubts, you know, I find it extremely helpful to, you know, ask Allah, you know, take away my doubts that I have about you, not because I doubt, you know, not because I, I doubt you of your existence, but because I want to worship you like fully without distraction. So just be honest in that. And I guess, um, reviewing how you actually make dua like it doesn't have to be such a formal thing where you have to raise your hands it shouldn't be a ritualistic thing that you do at the end of every salah it should come very naturally and whenever you kind of have time or you know whenever you need to take that time out so the second thing that scholars say that you should turn away from whatever the waswasa is telling you and obviously that's easier said than done especially in the religious ocd context um Mm. But the one thing I took away from this is renewing your intentions. So when you go to do something that you have like a thought about, so you have an obsessive thought or a compulsive thought, you have to stop and think that, am I doing this for the sake of Allah or am I doing it because my mind is telling me to? And there's such a huge difference because if you're doing something for the sake of Allah, there's so much goodness in that. But if you're doing it just blindly because you feel compelled to do it and you don't actually have any rational basis, that's also something you're going to be held accountable for, right? Can you give an example of that? Like, for example, um, we'll take the the wudu example. Are you doing wudu for the sake of Allah? Because if you were doing it for the sake of Allah... It would just be the one time and it's done because Allah is most merciful. So even if you did have an honest mistake, so even if that means you checking and you having to go back once more just to just to ease your mind, then once more is, is justifiable, right? But if you're going back to do it three or four or five more times, is it are you really doing it for the sake of Allah anymore? Or are you doing it because these thoughts are telling you to? Does that make sense? Mm. So that also goes on to my next point of, you know, having sincere fear. So are, are you sincerely fearing that you've done it wrong and that will displease Allah? Or is it because your thoughts will get worse if you don't? So generally with OCD, people um, act out their, thought, their thoughts in physical actions to reduce their anxiety, right? So although we might think that, oh, it's because we're displeasing Allah, it's actually could potentially be the anxiety underlying that so you have to you know at moments like this you have to say to yourself actually Allah is most merciful Allah is most forgiving if this is if if I made an honest mistake he will forgive me do you see what I mean mm. so it's the difference between fearing what you've done wrong and displeasing Allah or fearing that your thoughts will get worse so it's about feeding your 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 nafs and not your your thoughts and and your sort of uh, fears so the third sort of point that the scholars say is that you should remember Allah more so you should um, take you know you should use up your time and liquor and stuff and that also relates to the previous point you know are you remembering Allah because it grants you peace or because you think it will take away some of your thoughts so again it's, it's about being proactive and not reactive so a lot of people can get quite obsessive about the number of times that they say subhanallah and alhamdulillah and stuff like that so is it because you're reacting to your thoughts or is it because 
it grants you peace and you know that it's good because essentially if you're doing it for the sake of Allah there should be no number on it right although like in the sunnah there's like guidelines of how many you should do but essentially there isn't a number of there isn't like a maximum of how much you can remember Allah so it's it's uh, you know this kind of challenging your thoughts is is you know is very similar to what we see in CBT cognitive behavioral therapy where you challenge your irrational thoughts with more rational ones and this is just quote unquote islamifying that basically Mm. So, you know, and you know, one of my favorite hadiths as well. It's is you know, it's important to remember that Allah is as you think of Him. So, if you expect good from Him, He'll also, you know, He'll also be good to you, if that makes sense. So, some people um, find comfort in knowing that um, you're excused for the thoughts that you have because, you know, you're only you're not you're not judged and you're not punished for things that happen in your head. It's only your actions that will have consequences basically so if it's for some people who suffer from religious ocd if it remains an action you know take comfort in the fact that you're not sorry if it remains a thought take comfort in the fact that you're not going to be punished for that and in fact you're rewarded for hating your condition and the things that it urges you to do so the fact that you hate it and want to change is a clear sign of faith and you know i was going to mention the hadith that you mentioned earlier where you know the companion said to the prophet that um, you know they find things in themselves that is really awful for them to speak about um and you know he said that that is a really clear sign of faith and again knowledge precedes action so the more you know the more confidence that you'll have so i'll go back to like you know menses so for me personally the way i overcame this issue is you know really studying fiqh and a lot of people say that you know the average person doesn't need to know the tiny tiny rulings but things around cleanliness i think is an absolute must it doesn't matter what school of thought you're from or you know whatever you follow like as long as you know a ruling that gives you comfort and works for you that's what you should stick by and you know the same thing for you know nudges and stuff even if that means reading the same hadith or the same ruling or whatever every single day or reminding yourself of these rulings every time that you have um, these thoughts um because it's about repetition right it's about remembering and mm. These, you know, however many times you need to remind yourself will reduce, inshallah, with the less intrusive the thoughts are. Um, and, you know, finally, spe- seeking spiritual and medical attention. So what I mentioned earlier is, you know, inspiration minds itself is very holistic. Like we never say you just need to go to the mom or we never say you just need to go to a GP. Islam is holistic and there isn't anything that Allah has not set down a cure for. So you may need talking therapy such as CBT or you might need more emotional sort of uh, um, more attention on uh, your emotional side of thing or you might need spiritual support from your local imam or Islamic advisor it's 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 all about getting the right sort of treatment um, for you like spiritually medically even if that means that you have to explore so many different avenues, then you should go ahead and do that because only we ourselves are accountable for our health and our mind is a huge part of our health and well-being. I want to come back on that a little bit. Um, You know, you talked about doing actions that are either for yourself or for the sake of Allah. Um, I want to go back to that point because, you know, some people are able to convince themselves otherwise. So maybe someone is doing something which actually is to, I suppose, satisfy their own obsessive behavior. Yeah. But they convince themselves that actually it is for the sake of Allah. 
um, that their behavior is justified and that 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 kind of makes them feel better mm-hmm. and it gives them more justification to continue and anyone who might challenge that they might think that well you just don't understand this is my way of showing you know closeness to Allah so yeah is there really a way for someone to be able to differentiate between both um, or transition between one and the other I think you know Islam is a very logical and rational religion um, and you know we often for someone in that situation they they have to say to themselves like Islam was never meant to be hard am I finding this difficult if I'm finding it difficult, then is this what Allah would want from me? Of course, there's always going to be difficulties in religion and stuff like that. But if it's something to do with ibadah, because worshipping Allah is not difficult. It was never made to be difficult. Mm-hmm. So if a form of ibadah is becoming distressing, if it's becoming obsessive, if it's becoming a compulsion and it's not becoming something that they want to do um, out of the love of Allah, um, then that's when it becomes um, a concern. But again, it's it's a very unless the individual sees that, and unless the individual is prepared to question that, then of course you know they're not gonna say that this is a problem and I'm just trying to please Allah. And the more we strive, the more reward we get, and etc. Which is what you'll also find a lot of people who suffer from religious OCD that's they say that to themselves to justify their behavior and make themselves feel better um even you know a lot of them will know that something is not quite right but they'll say to themselves oh the the more harder experience I have in this life the more reward I'll get in, in the akhirah and stuff like that but forgetting that they'll also be held accountable for the strain that they're putting their physical and mental mind through so it, it's really important to for the individual to be prepared to to challenge their thoughts but also um you know for someone who's observing them to actually be the one to say well you know you know islam is not meant to be hard it, you know ibadah is not meant to be difficult so if you'll find if you if you're finding yourself distressed when trying to perform a simple act for the sake of allah then you have to question if you're doing it properly that sounds really really harsh i know but sometimes um you know, you have to get into that mentality and it's all about mm. challenging your thoughts and, and rationalizing. It's tough love, but it is important, you know. Um just earlier I was talking with someone about the fact that, you know, if if you feel that something is, is bothering you um on a friendship level with someone, you should, you know, if you feel comfortable enough, approach them in a very nice way and try to come to some sort of conclusion and, and fix things. I think similarly with this, um People individually by themselves are unable to really recognize when something like this is going on. Um, someone might get trapped in a cycle or a bubble in which they continue to convince themselves that actually this is for Allah's sake and I'm fine. Whereas someone observing them might be able to clearly identify straight away that this is not normal, it's not healthy for them. And so I think just generally, you know, having this habit of reaching out for help if you need it, but also helping those who you think need the help, right? We all know that, of course, we've mentioned just earlier that knowledge, learning more um, is a source of comfort and it really helps. But we have to make that effort to either educate others or seek it ourselves too. Um, And like you were saying before, when the hadith that you mentioned gave you comfort, something which gave me so much comfort as well when I was going through um, you know, religious OCD issues myself, for example, something as simple as having wudu or not. Um, 
there's actually, for those who study Islam, they will understand that there's, we have usul, we have methodologies, and we have, uh, in our sharia, we have something called a legal maxim. Uh, and one legal maxim in particular is that certainty always overrules doubt. So basically, if you're if you know that something was done, but you somewhere along the line developed a doubt, then by default you must go with that which you're certain of. So for example, if you know and you remember doing wudu, but let's say an hour later, uh, prayer time's approaching and you can't remember whether or not you 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 broke your wudu or lost it, then you should assume that you have it because the fact that you did it is more of a certainty for you than the fact that you broke it, right? So even something like that gave me so much comfort because it means that, okay, if the doubt is bothering me so much that it's going to ruin my salah because I won't stop thinking about it, then of course I will go ahead and I will repeat wudu. But knowing that rule and knowing that you know, Allah has made this easy for us and has such mercy on us that look, if you know you did it, but you can't remember breaking it, then khalas, you have you have wudu. Yeah. And there's nothing else to ask, no more questions. You spread out your prayer mat and you begin to pray, right? Um, similarly, you mentioned before the example of prayer, when you forget which rakah are you on. If you're certain you've done at least three, then you go for that. Um, and then there's ways to obviously overcome that. So learning is, is super important. Before we did um, jump onto this recording session together, you told me that you actually have a story to share, a rather very personal story from, I think, a brother who submitted something. And I believe it's available on the Inspirited Minds blog, but you wanted to share it here today because it relates to this topic of religious OCD and some kind of um, of the more extreme cases that people can face. And so I think that for those listening, it might be really beneficial for them to hear it. A lot of people might actually be able to relate to it. So can you go ahead, inshallah, and kind of introduce us to this story and then share it with us, inshallah? Yeah, definitely, inshallah. So um, so we kind of were inspired um, by this brother's story to actually talk about uh, religious OCD and things related to faith um, on our blog because um, when he submitted his story, we were just talking about OCD as in like the traditional sense or the stereotypical way that I guess we would um, describe OCD. Mm -hmm. And it was actually him that brought it to our attention. Um, and we were a bit like, whoa, actually, okay, maybe this is something that we should um, look at. And, you know, a lot of the things that he's experienced um, was actually sort of the base of a lot of the content that we wrote today. So inshallah, I hope that he hears this podcast. I'll be sending it to him. Um, but, you know, I just want to say JazakAllah khair for actually coming forward and sharing your story. And it's touched so many people, like um, the response that it got on social media and the comments on the website. It was just really amazing. SubhanAllah. Um, a lot of people were emailing us back in response to this newsletter saying, you know, like, wow, thank you for sharing this. I thought it was just me. And, you know, that relates to another point that we had mentioned in the podcast, you know, about not being alone um and you know knowing that you're not suffering alone i guess mm. um but his um his, originally when he had sent it mashallah it was about 14 pages long wow it was 
really, really, really elaborate, really detailed. And um, just because some of the stuff was quite sensitive, we had to unfortunately take away a lot of it because obviously our website is public. Um, um, so we had to cut it down. But, you know, mashallah, it's still quite lengthy. I think we cut it down to about four or five pages. Um, so that's Are we going to get like, some of that extra information yeah, here in the podcast? Yeah going to read um, a couple of the paragraphs that is on the website just because I think um, they're just really powerful um, and the way he he had written it like it's just so it's really like a monologue as if he's just talking to a diary um, mashallah so it's not like fancy and there's no like jargon or anything like that it's just very natural mm. um, so I'll, I'll just I'll just take snippets from here and there the most the paragraphs that I think are the most powerful anyway it was really difficult to do that but I'll start um with this paragraph um <clears throat> i've even had an imam telling me not to talk about it or responding with you're just weak which has really put me down i feel that i am doomed in both worlds by suffering from this because i will have failed from performing my duties as a muslim and also in this life because i've not achieved anything but burdening my loved ones especially my parents so i will do my best to explain my ocd it's all started in 2008, as usual. It started off small and then slowly became out of control. Every place I may have visited when I didn't take much care, e.g. being in need of ghusul or minor impurity, be it my friend's house, relatives, takeaways, Asda, Tesco, etc., I feel if I go back there, I will be recontaminated, impure again, which then stops me from touching anything else or even going to the mosque as I feel I will make it impure. My major fear is the transferring of impurity, e.g. if my clothes have impurity of any kind on it and somebody touches my clothes it will keep transferring to others through touch now if I get something out of a freezer I feel my impurity is in there frozen and if someone were to take something out I picture them eating my impurity Sometimes I feel if I have quit ghusl, it's not completed properly and I will still be in state of impurity. And if I take as long as I do, I'm still unsatisfied and think of the water and time wasted, which I'm still sinful for. And this is the same with wudu. I could not even fulfill my, wi- my wife's right as I was too worried about bedsheets getting impure. And then how would I put on clothes to open the door, to go to the bathroom and lock the door? And where would I put my clothes that are not clean? Or how would I pick up the vessel to clean myself or turn the shower on? My life is consumed around going to the toilet as I can't use public toilets and my mind just thinks about body fluids and getting recontaminated by them, especially the places I feel I've made impure in the past or present due to lack of care. Even if someone has brushed past my clothes or touched my bottoms after going to the toilet, it would break me. It would put me in a state of anger where I feel like attacking them, but I tell myself it's the OCD, not their fault. In reality, they are completely oblivious. It's like living with someone in my head, controlling me 24-7. I can't help it or stop the demon. I've become so weak, powerless, and can't ever see my life being normal again. I'm a liability to everyone close to me as I'm known as mental. My relations have broken down between me and my loved ones and even ended my marriage. As awful as this sounds, my friend developed stage 2 cancer and the only thing that went through my head was wishing if I could swap my mental issue for their cancer, I would, as physical pain and facing death had sounded like an easier option. It is difficult to discuss accurately what I have suffered in the past nine years, but I'm sharing this because I hope it helps others who are suffering or have suffered from similar issues to let them know that they are not alone. And despite having little successful help from other services, I've managed to hold on. And that's the most important thing. I may not know how I have held on, but I have and Allah is the one to thank. 
so subhanallah that was only like little snippets from um history his full account can be found on our website it's titled scrupulosity i call it hell um and he takes you through a lot more detail um and he also talks about the services that he had tried um and how things didn't go so well for him and just his general journey as well so i really recommend checking it out inshallah wow subhanallah even just from the the couple of paragraphs that you read there I know what you mean when you said that he takes us on this kind of journey with him and wow, it's, you know, in a, in a sense, it's very relatable, that demon that he spoke about inside his head that's controlling him. I think we all have those demons and whether or not it's to do with, um, in his case, the idea of purity or contamination or if it's thoughts and doubts, um, everybody has something. And I I hope that in speaking about it and I hope that in sharing it with everyone else um, you know not only will he be able to uh, find comfort in the fact that other people are facing the same thing but also uh, realize that you know help is there for him and inshallah that there's a few things that he can do to maybe help him overcome or at least um, you know manage what he's going through and so I want to remind everybody else that's listening just now that you know based on what we've spoken about today based on the various um, kind of practical tips that Min has given you guys as well and that are on the website that if something like this has been going through your mind if something like this is something which you've you know suffered from for a long time but didn't know if you were even allowed to speak about it or you you had that fear of being judged then please know that um you know if this brother can do it then you definitely can you don't have to put it in the form of a blog of course but just reaching out to someone professionals like those mashallah at inspirited minds um they are there to help you in the, the most non-judgmental way and give you support along the way um and so minha i want to ask you just to wrap this up inshallah you know is there anything else you want to advise those listening based off the back of this brother's story uh, i mean what kind of advice did you give him when he came to you um so i guess with with the brother um when when he had emailed this to us he was already at a stage where he had accepted his ocd i guess um and we just sort of offered him emotional support um as he had already gone through the nhs and i won't say too much about that because mm. i want you guys to read it on the blog inshallah but he talks about um how he went through the nhs and how he had how he tried to get private counseling and etc and things like that um but he was at a place where it was almost manageable for him um, so we started off with offering him emotional support and I guess because he was at a point where things were almost manageable for him, um, like I had said, uh, he had gone through sort of NHS services and private services um, and he was always, he was almost at a point where things were manageable. So we kind of sent him to Islamic uh, resources that we use um, and the content that we use for our research and um, our benefit and um I guess this was to, I guess, provide him some light on what he uh, was saying from a different perspective. Because from from what we could gather, it didn't like, for example, what he said about that imam. Um, what we could gather is that he didn't really have any, I guess, conclusive or substantial evidence or content or material that would give him any comfort, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So, like for example, you know he. If he had come to me with this um, email 
after this podcast, I would just say you need to go listen to this podcast because we discuss, you know, you know, whatever you're experiencing in this podcast. Whereas, you know, and mashallah, that's why it's so important to do things like this so that we now have that material that we can pass on to people. But back then, I was still a bit like, okay, I don't really know where to show him. So, you know, it was just a, a matter of gathering as much material as I could and send it to him and be like, you're not alone. Actually, this is what Islam says. This is what you can do. And again, it was all about proactive steps that he could take um and trying to sort of um separate the different parts of his OCD as it was really clear that religious OCD was obviously at the base of all of that but there was other like secondary issues so for example the combination I guess the this brother's OCD is quite complex because there was the combination of um impurity and repeating um and things like that as well as him thinking it was sinful so Mm. it was almost as if a lot of things are combined so you know just suggesting to him when you get these spiritual I guess um spiritual suggestions that you're not doing it enough and you're wasting water etc try to address that as well as trying to address um, the whole idea that you need to wash again and that you're becoming contaminated, if that makes sense. So it's almost trying to hit two birds with one stone. So yeah, again, it was all about the emotional support and just giving him proactive steps to take. And um, like I said before, you know, knowledge becomes before any action. So just encouraging him to get as much information as he possibly can um, from all kinds of perspectives, just to give him that bit of content, e- contentment, even if it didn't make anything easier, at least he could then tell this demon inside his head, actually, this is what's correct. I know you're telling me the opposite, but I know that this is correct. Does that make sense? It makes sense. Actually, I've I've gone through something similar. And I think um, both of these factors that you mentioned, um, which make up the solution, not just the knowledge and learning, um, but then there's the emotional support that you gave as well. And then after that, after he's able to actually educate himself and learn what's going on inside of his head, some people don't like categorizing things or putting names onto things because it makes them feel like they have more than they thought they had but there's nothing to be ashamed of I mean if you can actually put a definition or at least understand the process as you're saying then being able to speak to yourself or speak to that demon and convince yourself that okay you're you're telling me otherwise but I know this is correct this reminds me of you know how we deal with shaitan where shaitan's like do this you're like "Uh uh-uh because I know this is correct and you're wrong um and so yeah subhanallah this is this is fantastic um that you brought this up um I, I really hope that those listening once again i keep reiterating it but going to get that help going to get that um support you know is there it's available now it's hopefully going to be um expanded even further mashallah and spirited minds just had um an event recently and the support is is growing and the community is growing so um, I pray that inshallah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala helps all those who are going through uh, issues of any kind, whether it's related to mental health, physical health, etc. And I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala um, grants us the ability to find these resources and provide them in the most um, holistic way and a way that people can really relate to and, and inshallah take on board. Minha, thank you so much for uh, sharing that story with us. It's been um it's actually been quite emotional because I didn't realize that going into this, I would um, see so much of myself in this 
or other people's stories. Um, and I think that means mission accomplished, right? <laughs> now, Minha, before we wrap up today, I want to ask you if there's anything else that you want to share with our listeners, any more advice, wisdom, practical steps they can take. And then wrapping up, if you can let everyone else know where they can find more information from Inspirited Minds and, and seek further help if they need it. I, I guess like my the final words that I would like to sort of say regarding this issue is that you're not in, alone in what you're experiencing. Um, and it's really, really easy often to think that you are the worst person in the world for thinking these things about Allah, thinking these things about religion, and you know, you're an inadequate believer, an inadequate worshipper because you're experiencing these things. But you would be surprised at how many people experiencing experience these things at any one time in their life, you know, and how common it actually is. And just know that a lot of people probably share what you are also experiencing. So number one, never ever think that you're alone. Number two, never ever think that you're the worst person in the world because it's, it's not true. Um, you know, we should never compare um, with things like this we should never compare disorders or conditions you, you know just because someone finds one thing relatively difficult and another person doesn't find that same thing difficult it doesn't mean that the latter is any better than mm. the first person because with things like this you know Allah even acknowledges us as different and unique individuals um, and he gives all of us different tests so we should never compare with so-and-so who hasn't experienced this or so-and-so who has experienced you know the same thing as you but hasn't reacted the same way so firstly you know dispel those kinds of concerns about being the worst person in the world um, and you know it's so important to get help because you know, with with things like this, as Usman, you said that you've experienced, and even me, like personally, as a mental health professional, I can honestly say that, you know, it is it is so so difficult. But that doesn't mean that it's not doable. It doesn't mean that it's not manageable. And you know, it, I often I'll mention the ayah. You know, no, Allah does not burden a soul with more than it can bear. And I know what everyone's thinking that like, oh, that's such a cliche thing to say. And the ayah is so overused, but honestly, the beauty of it, I really encourage everyone to read the tafsir on it and the context that it was revealed in and why it was revealed and, and when. Um, because, you know, the 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 sort of weight of this ayah is, is so beautiful and it's so amazing. And just know that Allah won't push you to your maximum. So when you think that you're having a really bad day, just know that it's not actually the worst day that you have experienced and you've actually lived through all your terrible days um and you're yet to experience like the best day of your life i guess um i know that's super cheesy and really cliche but you know the thing is with religious OCD is so misunderstood um some people don't even consider it a real thing um but it's about striking that balance and you know the prophet would often take the middle route um and that's what we need to do um as believers as well inshallah and we should emulate his characteristics and his behavior and how he responded to things like this and his rationality and his you know logical way of thinking and not just be consumed by our minds and you know what and hearsay and stereotypes and stigma and you know 
take those steps towards Allah and take those steps to finding out more. And I guess that's my final point is do your research. Don't self-diagnose. Um, that's the worst possible thing you could do. Don't Google your symptoms, although I can guarantee a lot of people will. Um, <laughs> if you do Google your symptoms, make sure you're looking on, you know, good websites, cred- credited websites. Um, make sure that, you know, if you do feel like things are getting particularly distressful, but you don't know if it's distressful enough to go to the GP, still go to your GP, still seek help because prevention is always, always better than treatment. So if it can be prevented in its early days, then fantastic. That's exactly what we want. Um, and yeah, I guess those are my, my final words, even though they're a bit jumbled. <laughs> no, I'm so glad you, you said those because they are so, so important. Um, comparing yourself to others, whether it's on this level or whether it's with religiosity, um, is something which, you know, subhanAllah can really, really knock us down. And ultimately, you know, we are all on this journey towards towards Allah, ultimately towards our, our end destination. And the journey, um, Allah made it easy for us and Allah is all merciful and will excuse those things which we genuinely do um, find difficult but you know having that company there to be there with you to give you comfort that source of knowledge that source of help and guidance um, inshallah will, will help um, I want to just quickly pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala really um, gives comfort and ease to, to anyone out there who is feeling this way mm-hmm. and um, to anyone who suffers from a lack of self-confidence or a lack of being able to really love themselves enough to um, take these steps that Min has mentioned because ultimately Allah Allah does love you so much and he wants it to be easy for you but we have to also love ourselves enough to you know um, go out there seek the help and, and try our best and understand that even though we do have these acts of worship in Islam Allah has never once demanded perfection from us Allah has only asked us that we do our best and our best is what will be rewarded inshallah so may Allah make it easy for everyone Minha thank you so much for being here with us today another very super insightful episode Um, I'm really excited to get this out there Um, for everyone listening guys if you did benefit from this and if you could relate to anything said here then please do go ahead and share um, this episode and tag us on social media. Uh, Minha, if you want to go ahead and just mention your social media accounts so everyone can uh, get tagging, inshallah. Okay, fantastic. So um, we are Inspiration Minds across all social media handles, um, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We're also on YouTube. Um, we've recently released a Muslim Mind campaign um, where we have various sort of uh, people talking about their own mental health journeys um, and how they dealt with it as Muslims. Um, So a lot of you may be able to relate to that. if you have any uh, sort of general inquiries, you can email info at inspiritedminds.org.uk. Um, and our website has an abundance of material that we have created for you guys to use. So please make use of that. Um, like Osman mentioned, we recently, um, so um, we spoke about religious OCD in September. So you'll find like all our articles on that topic on there. We've covered various kinds of things from uh, relationships to eating disorders uh, to family dynamics to bereavement uh, we have a lot of self-help material as well so 
even looking through that and seeing if any of it helps could 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 do a million things as well inshallah and obviously um looking at our support services so if you did need any additional help you can go through that avenue we're pretty active on social media so if you did want to drop us a personal message to need um if you need any more information or need some support and guidance feel free to do that um and yeah you know i really hope that you guys have benefited from this inshallah and for having me Osman. Zakalakar to you. And actually inspirited minds also do public events as well, is that correct? Yes, yes, we do. So we can pretty much go anywhere in the country, inshallah. So uh, if your students want us to get involved with your ISOCs, please do. We do um, have specific workshops for students, um, student societies. Uh, we also do various workshops around stress, uh, loads and loads of different things. We can pretty much cater for any kind of topic in the mental health world, I guess. Um, and we can travel pretty much up and down the country. Um, so yeah, if you want us in your city, please do get in touch. Fantastic. And guys, at the beginning, I did tell you that I love this this charity, this website and this cause. And I hope that by the end of today's episode, you can understand why the level of detail and care gone into this project, mashallah, is phenomenal. I pray Allah puts barakah into it. Um, and for every link, every resource and a summary of today's show, guys, if you did forget the links, you can go and visit deinspiration.com forward slash podcast. Everything will be there. But until next time, Minha, it's been wonderful. And I, I actually hope that we can bring you or someone from your team back on in the future. Uh, but until then, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Wa Alhamdulillah, what an awesome show. I'm so happy that Sister Minha came on the show today to discuss this topic with us, especially from a very balanced perspective, right? And that's the thing, Islam is a very middle way. There's no going to either extreme, but it's about being holistic, taking everything into account and understanding how both um, uh, a good, deep uh, grasp of human psychology, of course, mixed with our perfect uh, religion, Islam, the teachings of the Quran and the Sunnah uh, mixed together can help us understand better what's going on with ourselves or with our friends or in our minds and also come to some sort of solution or way to handle and cope with what we're going through. Guys, if you want to have a summary of what happened on today's show, if you want access to all the links and resources mentioned, they're all going to be on today's show notes page, which is deanspiration.com forward slash episode 29. You'll find the Inspirited Minds website there, the Forces website there, everyone's social media, etc. And guys, if you haven't already, I do ask you kindly, from the bottom of my heart, of course, to go ahead and subscribe to the podcast. If you enjoyed this, of course, share it. But if you want to hear more like this or more topics um, which are discussed in a very um, in-depth manner that can help you, then do subscribe, which you can do on a range of different uh, platforms, Apple Podcasts, um, iTunes, Teacher, SoundCloud, Spotify, etc. Just type in the inspiration and you'll find our show. Thank you once again so much for joining us today. May Allah truly bless you. May he raise you in ranks. May he make all of your struggles a learning and developing experience for you. May he ease your pain. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala truly draw you nearer to him in the best of ways and grant you the utmost peace in this world and the next. Until next time, Assalamu alaikum 
warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Allah, 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 Allah,